Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. All right, so last week in the book of Micah, uh, some of you have never been more excited to finish a series in your life. You're like, some of this minor prophet stuff has been a little rough. Maybe a few of you have really enjoyed it. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Micah chapter 7, the last chapter in the book of Micah. Again, like always, we know uh, Micah is not like your daily devotion material normally, so uh, it is hard to find. So please feel free to use a table of contents. Uh, there's no shame in that. Uh, I still have been having trouble finding it throughout the week buried back there with all those minor prophets. So Micah, Micah chapter 7, <clears throat> would you just pray with me just one more time, just a quick prayer, ask God's Spirit to speak through the Scriptures to us, to our hearts today. Let's just pray. Uh, Father, uh, by your Spirit, uh, could you speak to us uh, through your Word? Amen. So this past summer, uh, our family did something that I would uh, 10 out of 10 not recommend. So it's not come highly, highly recommended. Uh, we cleaned out our basement. Anybody ever had to do that before? The worst. So we cleaned out our basement. And uh, in the middle of cleaning out our basement, I found a box that I knew existed, but I hadn't opened in a long time. And it was full of journals. I say journals, not diaries, uh, because I want to maintain some sort of dignity in front of you today. Uh, but one of my consistent practices since I was in high school uh, has been to keep a spiritual journal. Uh, and so this looked different at different times in my life. Sometimes that's looked like me just taking notes from a message or what I have to do during the week. Sometimes that's been me writing out prayers. Sometimes that's me just kind of being really honest about what's going on in my life. Sometimes that's me writing what I'm seeing in the scripture, a variety of things. And can I tell you, one of the most embarrassing things, if you want to try it, to do in your entire life uh, is to open up a journal from your like when you're in your 20s. Here's what's embarrassing about it. Uh, well, a few things. The first thing that's really embarrassing about it is you're like, really? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I thought? That's what I thought was a problem. That was the biggest struggle in my life. That was the biggest thing going, really? But then the more embarrassing thing was reading a paragraph and going, oh, I, I actually still struggle with that. 20 years later, that hasn't really changed much in my life. What we get in Micah chapter 7 is almost like Micah's journal entry. He's looking back on this collections of messages and writings, this word that God has given him. And in chapter seven, he's saying, what do I do with this? I've told everybody else what to do. I've acted like I've known what I was supposed to say and what I was supposed to do. But what about me? What do I do? How do I need to respond to the cultural idolatry around me? What do I do with my own fears that the Assyrians have taken over these outlying cities? What do I do personally when I see corruption and injustice in leadership? How do I process God's coming judgment? What do I do? 
And it's a great question for us this morning because this is a question we ask. How do the godly respond to the darkness around us? How do we maintain some sense of hope? How do we process what's going on around us when we see cultural idolatry? Greed, people who are power hungry, prideful. How do we process that when we see that in the church as well? Not just out there, but in here. What do we do when we see injustice all around the globe? What do, we, what do we do when we see people abusing their power? What do we do when we see corruption and leadership? What do we do when we get this idea that perhaps God does judge after all? What do we do? Micah chapter 7 gives us a pattern, a way that we can respond to the darkness around us. Verse 1. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. Verse four, the best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises against the mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So number one, the pattern that Micah gives us is he laments the darkness around him. He laments the darkness. You see that phrase in verse one, woe is me? It's a common introduction to lament, a prayer of lament in the scripture. And so Micah first responds by lamenting this darkness around him. He sees the idolatry and the corruption and the injustice, and his heart is overwhelmed. So he laments. What is a lament? At the most basic level, a lament is an honest prayer, a calling out to God. It is a prayer of our emotions to God. Laments are an outpouring of our grief, our sorrow, our desperation, and our realization that we need help. Laments are a powerful spiritual practice given to us from God. Let me give you an example of one. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his journal on receiving yet another death threat these words. Lord, I am down here trying to do what is right, but Lord, I must confess that I am weak now. I am faltering. I am losing my courage. Now I am afraid. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I cannot 
face it alone. Martin Luther King Jr., just like Micah, is praying a prayer of lament, of honesty. I'm at the end of my rope. I have nowhere else to turn. Micah acknowledges the wrongdoing around him. He doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? In verse 2, he says, all the godly people are gone. It is like someone got out of vacuum and just sucked all the good out of this place. There's nothing left. And then he says, even our leaders, we've heard this from him before, are not just corrupt, but they initiate corruption. Verse 3 and 4, what? Even the best of our leaders are like a briar patch. Getting anywhere near to them, you're going to leave with scratches and cuts. And then perhaps the saddest part of his lament is in verse 6, where he laments the destruction of society. He's like, hey, I mean, we can't even trust our neighbors. Don't leave your doors unlocked in this neighborhood. We can't even trust our wives. Our families are being ripped apart in this conflict. He's real honest. Man, we're seeing the destruction of everything that is good in this place. Don't we feel those same things? Don't we look around and go, man, I I better lock my door. Don't we feel the pulling apart of our families? Don't we see corruption at the highest levels of leadership? And so the spiritual practice of lament invites us to just come and be honest, just to name those things before God. But notice Micah doesn't just name what's wrong. He tells us how he feels about it. See that in verse 1? For I have become, as when the summer fruit has been gathered, when the grapes have been gleaned paints a picture of a field or a vineyard that's already been picked over and there's no good fruit left for him. He's saying he's emotionally spent. He's got nothing left. He can't even see goodness around him. The picture for those of us who aren't farmers might be like when there's a big sale at Old Navy. But you get there close to closing time and you look around and you're like, Man, the only thing left here is extra smalls and socks. You know, like, there's nothing left that I want in this place. It is dishonest for us to not acknowledge before God how the sin, corruption, and injustice around us makes us feel. It is okay. You have permission to follow the example of Micah and feel emotions. To be honest about when you feel like everything good has been sucked out of your life. This lament is about honesty, honesty about our human experience. Disappointment, frustration, suffering, being exposed to wickedness is unfortunately a part of our lives in this world, and we can be honest about it. This is one of the, I would claim, many ways that the Bible is very different from Caleb or the fish. Positive, encouraging, uplifting. And we often need that. But for Micah, none of those things is true. 
and lament. It's raw, honest, and real. And while our laments might not make it on the fish, they should make it into our bedrooms and our prayer closets and our kitchen tables and into our churches. And so you and I, individually and corporately, can go to God with honest laments, raw emotions. Where else are we going to go? But secondly, let's look at verse 9. He writes just this one sentence about himself. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. If you're taking notes, it's number two. This pattern that Micah gives us is lamenting the darkness, but also acknowledging the darkness within him, within us. Micah is lamenting all of the darkness around him, the lack of godliness, the lack of people who want to do what's right, corruption, the breakdown of society, the destruction of families. And he recognizes in that process, he's got some of those problems himself. That there is darkness at the very heart of who he is. And so he says he's going to bear God's indignation Because he knows while he's not like some of these other jokers who are incredibly corrupt, if he's honest, he's got some of it too. And he's not maybe a briar patch to the extent that he sees around him. But when he's honest, he's like, no, I got some thorns too. And anything, he says, that God gives as punishment, he also deserves. And so he confesses. Man, I've sinned against God. And his lament leads him to seeing clearly the darkness inside of him. Years and years and years ago, uh, one of my first ministry jobs was at a youth was a youth intern at my home church. Uh, if I'll be honest with you, I, I never dreamed about church planning in those days. Uh, I dreamed about just being just like my youth pastor growing up. And so when he invited me to be a youth intern, I was ecstatic. And the year while I was there, uh, it came to light that the guy before me had had an inappropriate relationship with a student. And I may have never been as angry as I was then. Because he was a friend. It felt personal. It affected me then and there. There was a level of skepticism and a lack of trust. And I was pretty angry. But God, by his grace, did for me what we see in Micah and led me to the realization that the reality is I was not much different from that guy. That while I had not crossed that boundary that he crossed, I had crossed a ton of other boundaries. And at the heart of who I was, there was sin 
and pride and lust. And it was a part of me. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for this pattern that when we actually go to God with our laments about the darkness around us, that God in his grace shows us the darkness inside of us. That could be a very difficult process. One that you and I are often resistant to walking through. Stephen Um writes this, we want a God of justice. Our problem is we don't want him to be just toward us. We're pleased when God is opposed to sin generally, but not that he is opposed to my sins specifically. Not that he refuses to tolerate my attempts to redefine what sin is. We want a God of justice, but we resist the notion of a God of justice. We want a God to judge sexual sin when we see the Me Too movement. We just don't want him to push into ours. We want a God who fights for us when our boss has deceived us. But we're much less open to it when we're the ones lied to our boss. And so in this way, lament opens our eyes to injustice around us and in our hearts. And creates a way for us to start to confess our own sins. It leads us to not just being honest about our feelings, but being honest about our hearts. So this pattern Micah gives for us, lamenting the darkness, acknowledging the darkness within us. Number three, choosing to trust God despite the darkness. Let's back up to verse seven. He writes, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until what? Until he pleads my case. And he executes just judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Yes, he's saying there is bad news, but guess what? I know the Lord. Not only that, but Micah's seen all the other alternatives. And all the other alternatives have led nowhere, right? Everywhere else he could go has been a dead end, has led the people of Israel to this place. And so he says, and here's what I'm holding on to trusting. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not going to another idol. I'm not trusting in another identity. I'm not trusting on my own ability to work myself out of this mess. He's like, I'm just going to trust God. I know his character. I know what he is like. And I am certain that when I'm surrounded by darkness, that God's going to be good to me. That in the end, God's going to bring a light to me. He will bring me understanding. He will bring me a way forward. He will show me his goodness. He will keep his word. He will love his people. He's convinced that the way out for him is simply by trusting God. He tells us why a little bit later, verse 18. 
Who is a God like you, he says to the Lord, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You, he says to the Lord, will cast out all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and a steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Do you remember where we began? Chapter one, we met Micah. Does anybody remember what his name means? Who is like Yahweh? So here's where we end. Who is like Yahweh has come face to face with the living God, Yahweh, and is now asking, who is like you, oh God? And Micah just says, here's what I know. You are good. You are ready to forgive. Not only pardoning for sins and forgiving us of our boundary breaking, but you, he says, what delight in it. You love to do it. You're not God begrudgingly offering forgiveness to us. You are standing ready and willing to forgive, ready to cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He says, God, you are compassionate. Your heart breaks for your people. This is much like it reminds me of in the book of Exodus, how Moses describes God's heart for his people. That God, with his people in slavery, hears their groaning, remembers their covenant and his promises, that he saw them and then God knew them. How, how groundbreaking is that for us? Think about this in your own life. No matter the darkness squeezing in on you, when you and I come to God, he hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. He is not against us, but out of his goodness stands ready to intervene for us on our behalf in his compassion. He is, Micah tells us, faithful to his promises. He will not forget his word. He is faithful when we are not. And Micah says he is steadfast in his love. That God isn't wishy-washy. He doesn't waffle in his love for his people, but loves unwaveringly, unfailingly. And so Micah says, even in the middle of all this darkness, that's who I'm going to trust. This God of goodness. Jerry Bridges says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. That's what Mike is doing. And that's what he is encouraging us to do. Look at me. This is not easy. Your life is not easy. And there are tons of places you could run to or escape to. You could choose to trust in the security of your retirement account. 
But haven't we already learned in Micah that that's fickle? You could choose to trust in your own moral superiority. But haven't we already seen the city that trusts in its own moral superiority is the one that gets invaded by the Assyrians? You and I could choose to trust in gaining more power over people. But haven't we already seen the corruption that allies when we lord our authority over others? Or we could survey everything around us and go, man, I don't get it. I don't understand everything. I don't see the way forward clearly, but I believe God does, and I believe he is good. Now, how do we have that sort of conviction? Where do we grab on to certainty about that? Let's look back at verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until who? He pleads my cause and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. See what the repeated phrase is there? He. Is Micah looking for a religious system to save him? Is Micah looking to a set of rules to save him? Is Micah looking to a military alliance to save him? Who does he say he needs? He needs a person. He needs a person who's going to show up and bring light to him, who's going to plead his cause. You know, that's the same thing John says in John chapter 1. What does John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him, in who? Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You want to know why we can trust in God's goodness in dark times? Because Jesus showed up. Because Jesus came in person. The God-man lived among us as one of us, and he brought the light into the middle of the darkness of our world. He, in his light, displayed for us the very character of God. You want to know what God is like? We look at Jesus. We see in Jesus who God is, ready to forgive, just like Micah, compassionate and full of mercy. We see in Jesus that God is faithful to keep his promises. We see in Jesus God's steadfastness in his love. And so we know all of those things are true of God because we see them in Jesus. God made flesh. We read the accounts of Jesus's life and we see clearly in the middle of darkness and brokenness that Jesus is forgiving, compassionate, merciful, gracious, faithful, and loving. But it is not just Jesus's life that gives us certainty about God's confidence. It is also his death. That Jesus, God in person, laid down his life for us on the cross. Paying the full penalty of sin for you and me. It's exactly what Mike is talking about. When he says he is going to show up and plead my case. What's the plea? Well, it's 
not Micah. What did Micah already say? Man, I sinned. I deserve every bit of punishment that I receive. But no, in the gospel, when we come to faith in Jesus, his life is substituted for our life. His death is substituted for our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection, right? Are you with me? So then what does Jesus plead for us? Before the Father, whom we've sinned against, Jesus says, no, he's one of mine. Price is paid. Righteousness given. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, the good and the just, stands before us, pleading our case, saying, no, no, righteous, good, forgiven. And because of that, because of that, we have unbelievable confidence before God. Because of that, we walk in God's goodness in the middle of the darkness. We already know. We are a people who already know that God is ready to forgive. That God longs to be compassionate. That God is faithful to his promises. God is steadfast in his And so then with resolve, in the middle of dark days, we say, when I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be the light for me. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.